Hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brent. It's the first edition in June. Welcome to June. And the music you hear is from my son, Sam Brent, our musical producer. We're produced by Brian Neal. And I'm Andrew Brent. And we've got an incredible show for you today. I have Chris Seeger coming on. Chris is the lawyer for all the plaintiffs in the huge NFL concussion settlement, which was done a few years ago, 2017, I believe it was finalized. But Lots of information in the news the past year about race norming, which we'll get into in a deep way, and whether African-Americans were treated differently in the concussion claims because of that. The league now, NFL, has a statement out about it. Chris Seeger is the head lawyer. He's been in the news, was on ABC the other day, and he will be with us coming up in a minute. And that will be an interview I'm sure you don't want to miss. But first, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. It's not only my favorite sports book, but also America's top-rated sports book app. I love using DraftKings. Easy to navigate. Plenty of instructions for new bettors and limitless ways to get in all the action. Right now, they've got a great offer. It's putting you courtside for these basketball playoffs. Turn $1 into $100 in site credits. Pick any basketball team still in contention. Bet a dollar, and if that team wins, you get $100 in site credits. It's safe, secure, reliable all the time. Download the, dra- download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S, when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Again, bet on the basketball team of your choice, win the next game. If they do, you'll claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code ROSS for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out inside credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Before we get to our special guest, Chris Seeger, I did want to comment a bit about the Naomi Osaka news this week. There was so much made of it. Her pulling out of the French Open after refusing to do press conferences, saying it was messing with her mental health. I think what she points out is a couple things. Number one, the kind of inaneness of press conferences. And I know I said this on Twitter the other day. I got backlash from some established writers, and I get it. Fair point that not all press conferences are these kind of mindless questions that anyone, you know, they go over and over again and athletes kind of roll their eyes and answering. There is some valuable information that comes out of it. But my thought has always been about press conferences. This is so scripted. I mean, it's all cliches. The questions are cliches. The answers are cliches. It just seems like, what are we getting out of this? And I guess what we're getting out of it is copy for now digital, former print, and of course, television. Okay, that's great. But Like I said, it helps the press, the media, however you want to call them, a lot more than it helps the athletes. I know people are going to say, well, the athletes have to do it as part of their contract. Yes, believe me, I get it. I've been there. Trying to get athletes to do media is tough. But the idea that they want to do this, no. They don't want to do this, but they have to. I guess my thought is that in 20, 30 years, we're going to look back at this time and say, you know, Naomi Osaka was right. These press conferences are kind of inane and What are we doing here? And there will be a different form of getting out the message of athletes, even the questions answered from the media. I don't know what it'll be, but I think it'll be more athlete-driven than management-driven. I think now with social media, we have already so many ways that athletes can address through channels not in standard traditional media. 
that will only continue. And as it does, I think there'll be a slow phase out of the way things used to be with these press conferences and questions over and over again. Just a thought. The other thing she brings up, of course, is mental health. It's now hit the mainstream somewhat in sports, you know, with more limelight with DeMar DeRozan and Kevin uh, Love and others coming out. But I still think it's a somewhat in the shadows. It's great that Osaka puts a spotlight on this. And as I talked about this with Ross Tucker, this is an interesting thing for me because way back in the day, I was general manager to the Barcelona Dragons, the first iteration of NFL Europe. And we were 40, 50 players all overseas for four months. Yes, four months. And when we were, we had this opportunity to be together, but this was pre-internet. So I'm dealing with this. Most of my job as general manager during that time was trying to keep it all together. Again, I had 21 to 28-year-olds usually never been out of their state, let alone the country. They didn't understand the language. They didn't understand the newspapers, they didn't understand the food, they didn't understand the lifestyle, and they could not leave for four months. That was tough. We had mental health issues right and left before it was vogue to talk about mental health issues. I mean, this is years and years ago, like 30 years ago. So we made it through. So I was exposed to kind of mental health issues in sports for a long time ago compared to what they have now. And yes, keeping it together is hard. Keeping it together is hard. And I'm proud that I hired the first counselor at the Green Bay Packers. Now, she was there office hours only, and she was there for players, coaches, staff, and their families. And sometimes she wasn't that busy at all. Sometimes she really was busy. But I'm proud to have done that. I'm proud it worked out well. And I'm sure they, like a lot of NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball teams, now have not only mental health counselors, but wellness directors, etc. To me, that's only a good thing only a good thing and kudos to calm app which i use all the time they should be a sponsor um for getting involved in helping these athletes as well i saw a note in the news about that all right i just wanted to get that in about mental health and without further ado let's get to chris seeger again the lawyer representing the nfl players against the nfl in the concussion settlement has new information now about race norming uh, and the NFL admitting to that as was something that was denied for years and years. Let's get to it. I've had Chris Seeger on the podcast before, a great guest. In 2013, he was the lead lawyer negotiating that landmark settlement way back in the day with the NFL on all the concussion plaintiffs that retired, the some 20,000. Bringing it up to speed now, we have this race norming issue, which, which Chris will explain to everyone. But to get it started, Chris, I remember you saying earlier in the year, maybe it was March, that you did not see any evidence of racial bias in the settlement. Um, you've changed the you changed your views on that. Tell us about that. I, I have. I, th I think the statement early on was a, was taken a little out of context, but um, it was also my fault for jumping to conclusions early. We had, it was right at the beginning of my investigation. We had been dealing with the race warming issue on a case-by-case -case basis. We had been assisting people on appeals. I know the NFL was very stupidly bringing up the issue of race on appeals. So we, we saw it because we've been handling this for people. But I didn't have the appreciation that it went beyond the handful of cases. And for that, I'm, I was wrong to make my statement as early as I did with the conclusion that I drew. But it didn't stop me from investigating. It didn't stop me from continuing to dig. 
it's brought me to where I am today. And where I am today is race warming has got to be out of the settlement 110%. It's got to be gone. And we have to rescore every single claim that's been affected by it. Uh, and that's really where my head is. I, I, I am still investigating. At some point, we will make a, a report. It will put it out there for everybody to review and we'll file it with the court. You know, it's not going to be every claim. It's not every African-American player, but it'll be more than a handful. And for that, I got to get this fixed. You know, just to conclude on this point, I'm sorry, yeah. Andrew, to, to babble on, but it's important. The greatest danger that's been caused by this issue is it has undermined confidence in, in African-American players in a program that I I don't want to say take credit solely. It was for many people that worked on it, but that we built for them. This was right. the replacement of the disability program that was screwing them around, frankly. And uh, we built this program to be there for 65 years to be an insurance policy against anybody uh, to, to, to make sure that their families and they would be comforted knowing that they would be compensated if they developed any of the compensable diseases. And for them to lose confidence in this program on this race issue is very unfortunate. And I'm going to get it fixed. Appreciate that, Chris. I think well, let's let's take a step back quickly because I wanted to hit the, the highlight right at the beginning. But for our audience, let's sort of figure, let's sort of define, clarify race norming. I was first exposed to this about a year ago when a couple of players, including one player that played for me many years, Najee Davenport, another player, Kevin Henry. They alleged that this race norming prevented them from getting settlement payouts. Davenport, I remember claiming that the doctor initially diagnosed dementia, but then the NFL appealed, demanded his test scores get curved using race norm data. This is sort of the whole thing that came. So maybe you could explain better than I just did about what is race norming and how the NFL was using it to make it harder for plaintiffs to collect. Well, you did a very good job describing that, frankly. Um, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time defending a system that I'm advocating getting rid of. But I will say this about it as briefly as I can. The intention behind race adjustments, like age adjustments, like education adjustments in neuropsychology was not intended to discriminate. It was intended to level the playing field because neuropsychologists like Heaton saw, you know, 30, 40 years ago that children of color were being overdiagnosed with learning disabilities. African-Americans are being overdiagnosed with dementia and things like that. And a lot of that had more to do with their social circumstances than race. It had nothing to do with race. It had to do sort of with, with other underlying causes. And for that reason, that's why race is no longer appropriate as an adjustment. And we have to look to other things if those adjustments need to be made, like age, like education, maybe economic circumstances of some of these children, maybe whether their parents went on to college or a level of education within the home. But these, the, the problem is that those, these things that would replace race don't exist right now. And the exciting thing that I'm involved with, again, through this settlement, the settlement has done a lot of social good. But one more thing that it will do is we are now working with the best experts in the world, a very diverse panel of experts on gender and race, and we are going to build the replacement for race norm, and it will be race neutral. So um, the neuropsychology world will be able to see what we've done and hopefully learn from it and build upon it and make it better. But and I'm not looking to change the world, but I, I really have to change what's going on in the NFL concussion settlement. Second part of your question, which is how is the NFL using this to their advantage? When the settlement became uncapped, the NFL obtained the right to appeal all the claims. They were 
And I put a provision in that was supposed to be a check against them. It was if you, if you abuse the provision, if you abuse your appeals, I could petition the court for that right to go away. They never abused the appeals the way I anticipated, which was that they would be appealing every claim. They were not appealing every claim. But what we began to see is they started appealing awards uh, on many different grounds. But one thing that was repeatedly included was the failure for a neuropsych to apply race norms because many weren't. I mean, in you know, this is a this is public now, and I don't like to talk about particular cases. But in Mr. Davenport's case, race norms were not applied to his claim, and that's why the NFL objected. They wanted them applied. Okay. Um, and, and Mr. Davenport's claim was sustained by the special master who went back to who simply asked the neuropsych to give an explanation of his analysis. But, um, you know, that's so that's what they were doing. They were, uh, you know, in my opinion, uh, it's unfortunate that the NFL did that. Uh, and maybe the upside is that the fact that they did it brought it to the forefront. And now we can deal with it and eliminate it once and for all. You know, one other good thing about this is the NFL recently, as recently as last night, put out a statement saying that they are on board with eliminating race norms and with rescoring all claims affected by it. So that's very big. That's a big win for the players. It was big. I, I was going to reference that statement because Brian McCarthy, the, the, uh, the voice of the NFL that spoke, the spokesman, I'm sorry, for the NFL that spoke on it, he did not respond when he was asked about this months ago with the stories coming out, Washington Post, ESPN. But let me read his statement. I want to you know, continue to get your reaction. The replacement norms will be applied prospectively and retrospectively for those players who otherwise would have qualified for an award, but for the application of race-based norms. So that statement is out. That's the big news. I guess my question to you is, how much of that was massaged by you, by your side, or was it just out of what the judge, Judge Brody, uh, indicated she wanted to see? And the second part of the question is, what are we talking about in terms yeah. of value that that's going to create overall when they say retrospectively and prospectively? I'm going to start with the second part of your question, if you don't mind, because I, I want the players listening to hear this. I don't care what it costs the NFL. I don't care if it doubles the value of the settlement. There's 32 billionaires there. They've got plenty of money. I don't anticipate this settlement to put any of them on a bread line or in a homeless shelter. They will be totally fine. So whatever it costs, my job is not to worry about whether the NFL has money. I know they do. So it'll cost what it does. But on the, on the um, uh, remind me of the first part of your question. I'm sorry, Andrew. Well, in, in them coming to this conclusion. Yeah. After months, so, not denying it, but just not commenting on it. Yeah. It's really multifactorial. Look, it is, it is when this, Keep in mind that since approximately 2018 or so, we had been fighting them on the appeals and winning. We had been winning these issues on appeals. We had beaten them on 90% of the appeals on big issues. I can get into that later if you want. Uh, so we'd been fighting them on it. When this really became a global issue, and frankly, because of Najee Dav Davenport and Mr. Henry, they, they turned this from a case-by-case -case issue into a global issue for the settlement, and um, I'm happy that they did. And And just a footnote there, their attorneys and their experts are involved in these negotiations that we're having right now. So the NFL has a lot of pressure on them. They've got pressure from us, the class counsel, from uh, Mr. Davenport and Mr. Henry and their counsel, from a court that wants to do the right thing. And we've got layers of other protections. There are special masters involved. So, um, you know, I think 
I also think that history is against the NFL. And maybe this might be the most telling thing, but we're at a point in time where racial discrimination in all forms, whether it's policing, medicine, neuropsychology, has to go. And although many of these race norming things may have been well intended by good scientists 40, 50 years ago, they are no longer appropriate in the world we live in right now. Um, so with the history of racism in the U.S., with the history of racism, frankly, in the NFL, the time has come to eliminate it in all respects. And, and that's what we're going to do. Do you think the NFL was just doing this to save money? I mean, what other reason, I guess? <laughs> you know, Andrew, yeah. Yeah, the answer is yes. Let's let's just call this what it is, okay? When the settlement became uncapped, we, in effect, dragged the litigation into the settlement process, right? Now they had an interest, as opposed to handing me a pot of money, which the initial settlement was, and the plaintiff's lawyers distributed to the players. They, once it became uncapped, they had an interest in fighting in the settlement to eliminate or reduce awards. We, have, we thought and we believe we have in 99 percent of the cases, a really good job of advancing the ball for players, winning important appeals, and beating back the NFL. But on this one, and I knew the NFL was doing this, what I didn't appreciate as fully as I do now is that there were a handful of neuropsychologists in the program readily applying race norms to black players. Hmm. And I didn't, because, and if, if the claim isn't appealed, we can't get to see that. I only get to see the claims that are going up on appeal. So I didn't have the appreciation for it like I do now. I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I'm upset that neuropsychologists in a program that we built for a population that is 70 or more percent black, that they would apply these in a compensation program, would apply race norming as they have, particularly where we made it clear in the guidelines that they were not required. There was language about them being recommended, demographic adjustments being recommended, and that includes race and age. But there was, okay. but the length, but it was, these were, this was, I, I thought that I could feel confident what we, so let me back up. What we tried to do is just replicate what goes on in a doctor's office. I'm a lawyer, not a neuropsychologist. I just wanted to send players out, get them tested, get the results and see if they should get compensated. I didn't have an appreciation like I do now that some neuropsychs would think just because a player is black, he should have race norming applied. And when you think about why, just to make the point really clear why it doesn't make sense, is because 95% of these guys all went to college. They all studied the same playbooks. They all had the same kind of jobs. They, they are more alike than they're different in the NFL. I mean, you know that better than anybody. And it didn't make any sense for, for a neuropsychologist to go ahead and apply race norms simply because one player had black skin and one player did. And that, so these, these neuropsychologists, again, I know we're not doc, doctors here. They yeah. would apply, for lack of, for, for a rudimentary understanding, they would apply lower cognitive baselines to black players to begin what? with so that when they're concussed, it would, it would not have the same deviant uh, standard deviation. I'm, I'm trying to sort of explain race norming a Let little bit. I'm going to grossly oversimplify it, but it gets yeah. very complicated. But let me do this. The, one of the things you need to measure to determine cognitive impairment is what your pre-morbid IQ was, meaning before you were damaged, what was right. your IQ? So they can measure the decline. It is in the scoring of your pre-morbid IQ and also the, uh, on the end where these adjustments can be made if the doctor sees fit to do it. And... When the adjustments are made, you can't beat around this. 
it will lower the pre-morbid IQ of an African-American player, which therefore makes it harder to show the decline. Now, I see. Um, and, 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 and as I – go ahead. I'm sorry. Again, were these neuropsychologists doing this on their own accord, or was there any direction from the NFL to apply these standards? There are emails. ABC had emails that were produced by certain neuropsychs where they said they felt pressured. I'm investigating that too, Andrew, but I don't understand that because the NFL has no direct contact with the neuropsychologists in the program. I have no idea how this handful of neuropsychs got confused. I, for the life of me, can't understand how they felt they were required to do this or whether I really even believe that they thought they were required. And maybe right now they're just saying that because they did it. I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but, but this is what I need to do. I, I got to move forward from this. I'm going to investigate it, but I need to get the. I, I have a couple of steps here. I've got to get the norms, race norms removed from the program. NFL has agreed to that. That's a good thing. I then have to investigate the claims. The devil's in the details, but it sounds like the NFL is there too. And then I have to make sure that something like this never happens again. And what I mean by that is we have to draft guidelines and put checks in place to make sure some, you know, neuropsychologist who disagrees with eliminating race can't find another way to inject race. Into right. us. And um, we, we're going to get there. I mean, we really have it's not happening as fast as I would like because there's a lot of hard work going on. But we really have phenomenal experts, the best in the world working on this. We'll be back with Chris Seeger in a minute. First, a word from a new sponsor, Keeps. Do you know that two out of three men experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35? And 50 million men suffer from male pattern baldness. That's in this country alone. Now, Keeps gives you a convenient virtual doctor, consultations, medications, straight to your door. You don't have to leave your home. It's $10 a month starting price. Generic versions, discreet packaging, has more five-star reviews than any competitors in this space. It's a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. So go to Keeps. If you're ready to take action, prevent the hair loss, go to keeps.com slash BOS. That's for business of sports. Receive your first month free. That's keeps.com slash BOS. Get your first month free. Keeps.com slash BOS. Tell us where we are in the settlement. It's been several years. Uh, the payouts I've read, I don't, you can comment on more specifically, up to $800 million paid out. Is that is that accurate? It's actually more. There are approved claims closer to $850 million. Um, the numbers paid out is probably cash out the door is probably close to $800 million. Um, I think we're knocking on $900 million pretty soon. And I think this settlement will end up where I had predicted when we settled, which is it's going to be in excess of $1 billion, probably closer to a billion and a half dollars. And this race so, will add a, a factor to that, obviously. It's going to add a factor. I can't estimate right now how big of a factor that's going to be. But claims, I have no doubt in my mind that some claims that were denied are going to now be approved under the new system. So it's going to add something to it. Um, and I'm going to try to get that fixed as quickly as I possibly can. How are you doing? I know there was a, a campaign to oust you at one point, and you've taken some slings and arrows on this. Uh, but yeah, uh, you yeah. you have persevered, and this is another feather in your cap to get this new standard imposed. Yeah. So let me say this: uh, nobody knows this program or has fought harder than this for this program than I did. 
I never forget. I never forget the fact that although I may have a bunch of cases as a lawyer, that every single claim represents a person in this settlement. And to that person, that claim is the most important thing in their life right now. So I do remember that. I, there is a, you know, somebody took up a online petition and got 50,000 signatures from an online petition. I have no idea who the people that clicked yes, who clicked no or whatever. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to be intimidated by online petitions, by people writing me emails at two or three in the morning, making whatever threat they want. I'm going to continue in this job. If somebody get me removed, that's fine. Chris Eager is not resigning. Um, I remember when we brought the case and people predicted we wouldn't get a nickel. And then we have a billion and a half dollars. And then after we settled, everybody said, nobody will get paid. NFL never got a nickel. And now we're approaching $900 million. And, you know, the issues that we won on appeal, like, for example, the, the NFL wanted to compensate only um, in terms of eligible seasons. They wanted to only give credit to the 45 guys who suited up on game day. We got that number increased to 53 players whether or not they had the jersey on on Sunday. We have won so many appeals like that, and we fought really hard for NFL players. I wish they could all see it, but I'm realistic. I know they're not going to see all the things we have done to make this successful. So it's not that important to me whether I'm like, but I'd like to be respected at the end of the day for somebody who saw a problem, identified it, and was involved in the solution and fixing it. Before I let you go, I want to get back to something you said earlier. You just referenced it, the appeals the NFL has. What what are some of the standard appeals where they've come at trying to deny awards based on what? What are some defenses they've used? Besides attacking the scores or maybe the way a neuropsychologist applied a test, one of the common things uh, that the NFL has done is they, they do online searches. And we've got folks who are applying for dementia claims, and they'll find a tape online of them doing motivational speaking or advertising for a local car company or reading a script in a TV ad or doing financial planning. And they have submitted those tapes to be used against players to show that they haven't had that the neurocognitive decline they claim is not as great as they say. Look, they're functioning fine. There's no functional impairment. So those are some of the ways that they, they go after players. And look, some of it, I, I'm not even going to sit here and just, I can, believe me, we could have a whole show on me being on the, on the NFL. Some of it's fair game. Some of it's not. There have been lawyers that have filed claims in this settlement that are suspicious. There are doctors that have done things that are suspicious. But we've spent the first two years really routing out the bad players, the bad doctors, the bad lawyers, and the fraud. And now the system is finally, you know, up and running efficiently. And once I get this last piece put in place and eliminate race norms, we'll be we'll be good to go for the next what is it, sixty one years. <laughs> what do you think ballpark timing is sort of getting that baked into the system and now that it's it's been admitted by the NFL and saying they're gonna do something about it? I, I we're we're definitely talking weeks, not months, not years for sure. Okay. So um and we are tracking, even though claims are still being looked at in the claim administration process, any denial right now is going to be set on the shelf on the side, and we're going to go back and look at those. So, um, you know, we're hoping it was fair. You know, when we first went into this, I thought we could get this done in about a month. I was hoping you and I'd be discussing how successful this is and how important it is, what we've just achieved, eliminating race from, from neuropsychology and the impact that's going to have on the world, the medical world. Uh, and I will, and hopefully you'll want to talk about that when that's done because that's important. But um, 
it's probably going to be, it could be another month, maybe two. We're and what's the status of, of Najee and Kevin Henry's suit now that they've um, admitted to it? I think that this is going to bode well for people like Mr. Davenport. <laughs> because No, I mean, but their lawsuit, will that be? Oh, oh, oh. So the lawsuit that they brought, their discrimination lawsuit was dismissed yeah. by the court. But oh. Judge, Judge Brody, you know, then ordered us to mediation to look at the issue. So she okay. took the issue of race norming very seriously. And and just to make this really clear, we, we have invited in, I and I'm happy to be working with Mr. Davenport, Mr. Henry's lawyers, and their experts. We're doing this collaboratively. It's going to be, um, and there are a lot of eyes on this. So I think this is going to come out really well. That's awesome. This is good news for so many players and good news for the settlement that you continue to monitor over all these years since we've been talking yeah. since 2012. Yeah. Uh, Chris, yeah. thanks so much. Thanks for explaining everything and, and the update. And your mea culpa is very impressive about the race norming, as the NFL finally admitted to. Appreciate you coming yeah. on. Thank you for inviting me. Just on a final word, if you don't mind, I say this. It, sure. it, is, it is disturbing to me that I was involved uh, in any way in something like this with the race norm issue. But I am really taking a lot of pride in the fact that I could be one of the first to say this was wrong, it needs to be eliminated, and then to come up with a solution that actually does eliminate it. And this will become the model for neuropsychological testing out, outside of the NFL concussion settlement for African-American people and people of color. And I think it's going to spill into other areas of medicine. So one more thing for the NFL players to be proud of in this settlement. And we they really should take pride in this yeah i mean i think this should get more attention than it has and hopefully i'm giving it a little bit of that thanks you so much are. thank it's you a great, great comment you just made too it's a bigger impact than just this yes it is it's important that we're doing this it really is time has come thanks thank so much you, andrew thank you thank you for the time appreciate it fascinating conversation with chris seeger has been on the podcast before as we've navigated our way through this nfl concussion settlement for now what eight years the twists and turns of it and this is really an interesting angle now a twist that's taken where race norming is no longer going to be allowed and kudos to Najee davenport former player of mine at the packers and others for pointing this out and finally <laughs> It's going to be out of the system. Uh, the neuropsychologists, the NFL are never going to be able to use it again. And uh, Chris Seeger admits the error of his ways on this podcast as well. Hope you enjoyed it. As I do, I hope you enjoy all our podcasts. Apple podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated. If you could do that, give us a nice rating. We'd really appreciate that. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, my musical producer, Sam Brandt. Please follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt and Instagram at Andrew Brandt 2, and my newsletter, if you're not getting it already, sign up Sunday 7, every Sunday morning, andrew-brandt.com is where you sign up. And then I'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports.